Did y'all see me lift up the pulpit? Did you know? It's a secret compartment. Um, well, it's good to see you again. Um, I don't know if you can see this necklace on me. We're not like a high-tech church with a video camera. But do you see it? It has a key on it. Do you know what this means? Okay, you don't. All right. I'm going to tell you. In the uh, 70s and 80s, a term came into play for children who left the home in the morning and came back after school by themselves and let themselves in the house. And we were called, I add myself to this list, the latchkey kids. Are you excited about that? Do you know, have you ever heard this term before? Yeah, so basically, um, it, was, it was like, um, it was terrifying to, to be on your own all the time. And at the same time, it was like heaven. You know, you could just come home and do, I see some nodding going on from some people that uh, grew up like that. We, uh, we sort of have been raising our kids that way, don't tell anybody, and, um, <laughs> but th- there's just something really beautiful about just being by yourself. In the summers, can we just talk about the summers, you know, uh, both parents are gone or the one parent's gone to work and you're just by yourself, it is, I mean, you sleep all day. You sleep all day. Or you, we would go with our friends and just do whatever in the neighborhood. You almost died every day. That's the way it worked. <laughs> our daughter, who is 12, uh, really got into the show Stranger Things, and I had never seen it before. And so she wanted to watch it with us one night, and so I turned on, and I was like, I recognize this vibe. Uh, and so she was like, she turned to us, and she was like, is this really how it was for you guys? Just like on your bikes in the woods with no adult supervision? It was like, isn't that amazing, Alex? <laughs> you know? What happened if somebody got hurt, like really hurt? And we were like, well, we rubbed magic grass on their knee and we carried them home. Amen? Yeah. So yeah, the latchkey kids. But there's a flip side to it. The negative side is that isolation isn't always great. And uh, it's not always a great situation to have to raise yourself, you know. I learned to make fish sticks pretty early on in my life. And <clears throat> that's fun for a while, but as you know, in all arenas of life, uh, we do, in fact, at times need people around. We need people among us who are friends of ours, who look after us, and uh, they know what we're doing and can show us in some way um, a step forward in life. We, we just need that. We can sometimes end up Uh, in places where it's good to be alone, but it's also good to have supportive people around us. And when I think about faith, uh, because that's what we talk about in here, um, when I think about faith, it it ends up this way too. We can unknowingly drift into a kind of aloneness in our faith, where there's no one around um, to help us in our life with God. Kind of a latchkey faith just doing it by yourself, day in and day out. A faith without the company that it needs to thrive. It can be a lonely faith. And I just know from my life and this work that I do that faith, although there are times to be alone, uh, it does really well when there's a guiding presence of people uh, or even just someone who is near to us, who cares for us, who prays for us, uh, and is around us. And I love these words that the Apostle Paul says in our reading for today. Let me just touch on these again. As you know, he says, he's writing these Thessalonian Christians. um, As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you 
lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom in glory, like a father to his own children. Now, if you read all of 1 Thessalonians and some of 2, you will notice that Paul uses a lot of family imagery. And we see this a lot in the Bible anyway, but Paul uses a lot of family uh, imagery. There's even been books and volumes written about how Paul uses the term mother and father and what that means, and I'll, I'll let you in a little bit of that. Uh, but Paul's use of family language in Thessalonians is interesting. He speaks of himself and his fellow workers and apostles as infants, uh, which indicates this sense of humility, of need, of needing support. He also speaks of himself as a nursing mother. So Paul has this feminine side to him. There's a whole book by Beverly Javenta. It's a great book about the mother Paul and just how much he uses the mother language in his letters and what that means. Today, we hear that he refers to himself as a father to these people. And as you read further in the letter, he speaks of himself and his fellow apostles as orphans when they are not with this church that he is writing to, this deep feeling of loss not being around them. So this family language is really interesting stuff. But the language here really, all of that combined, is really just about a deep and personal connection. But Paul is also wading into some realities that this church uh, that he helped begin, uh, some realities that they were going through. It's very common uh, in the first century for these um, spiritual hucksters to come into town to set up shop, do a speaking gig, and to quote Steve Miller, take the money and run, right? And so this was happening. And so there were all of these sort of like well-spoken, you know, uh, influencers, basically, coming into town, doing their thing, taking the money, and then leaving. And so Paul's sort of wading into these realities with them saying, as they know, I mean, he's reminding them, as you know, we're not like that. We're like family with you. We're like infants and mothers and fathers and even orphans when we're away from you. But these people would come through and do their thing, and there's no connection. There's no follow-up. There's no accountability. No real love or affection. And Paul's language in the letter is grounded in this deeply interpersonal, family-like thing. And in our reading today, he uses the word father. Now, when Paul uses mother and father, it's always in very specific ways. When he refers to himself as a mother, he's talking about being affection. There's this affection he has for his readers, this love that he has, this care, this willingness to um, even nurse. He says a nursing mother to take care of people. So this imagery for Paul when he uses mother is about that kind of thing. It always lines up when you read his writings. The father imagery with Paul, he is talking more about helping give shape to their faith. Every time he uses father, it's about information. It's about formation. It's about uh, leading someone in their faith, that kind of thing. And again, the father image or any parental image can be really tricky because um, no, none of us have perfect models of these people in our life, right? Right? I'm a parent. I know I could do a whole book on 
I should not have been given children. You know what I mean? Just, just because it's a very difficult job, you know? Um, it's, there's hardly any do-overs. You know, once you do something, they're traumatized, it's over. Um, therapists, great job. Funeral directors and therapists, just set for life. They are set for life. Um, and so for those of you who are parents, you understand. For those of you who have parents, you understand. These are not perfect people. I don't know if you know the story of Jesus um, where he's teaching and he says to his audience, who of you, if your son asks you for fish, would give him a stone? You know, surely some kid out there goes, my dad would do that, (laughs) you know? And then he says something to the effect of, you know, well, basically what he teaches them is, as good as your earthly fathers are, God is way better than that. Even if you see your parents as just perfect people, they're not. But if you see them that way, God is far beyond that and how he loves and cares for you. If you see your parents as terrible, and they may have been, Jesus is saying God is nothing like that. It works in both arenas. And so... We have to sort of work with that on our own, you know, a lot of family language in the Bible, and that can be uh, difficult sometimes for each of us, especially the word father. Remember that song, Good, Good Father? I think we did it once here. We, just full disclosure, we, we never liked it. <laughs> and I used to run a week of high school camp, and the worship uh, team that we had hired one year, like, really liked the song. And... Um, and then the next year, we had a different band, and we told them they really liked that song. We don't really like that song. Um, so we started making up alternate songs, like you're a really decent uncle. Um, you're a terrible brother. Like, we, we, read a, we, we wrote a whole bunch of B-side tracks uh, to Good Good Father. Um, where am I? I? I'm nowhere at this point. <laughs> but Paul is using this term in its best sense which means you have to use your imagination. The perfect father. He's using it in the best sense as an image to describe his best intentions for these people. To be someone who has a hand in shaping their faith in a healthy and fulfilling way. In its best sense. And some questions I have for you to think through is when you think about your own faith, Who are the people that are helping you through that? You know, again, there are times when faith has to be alone. But when it comes to the people who are helping give shape to your faith, who are those people in your life? Now, some of you are like, well, that's you, man. I come in here and listen to you and that's that's it. And that may be the case. But it's good for all of us to answer that question Who are the people around me that are helping me through this difficulty of faith? Who sits with you and listens to you when you talk about your faith? I find that uh, it's very interesting the way prayer and social media are similar in that we just throw something out there. And oftentimes it's very quiet. It's social media is a kind of prayer, isn't it? Someone hear me. Someone respond to this. And it can be depressing when it's, it falls in silence. 
But oftentimes what I find in the scriptures is that God, in our prayers, speaks to us through those around us. And so who is it that sits with you and listens to you when you talk about your faith? Who holds your hand and prays for you? My gosh, just the physical, you know, we, we ended our parish group a couple Sunday nights ago, and I said, okay, guys, youth group style, everybody in a circle, and we grabbed hands. It's awkward, you know? But it's good for us to touch and to pray. Who absorbs your questions and doubts and troubles that might rattle your faith? We need those people, right? Don't just Google that stuff. We need people around us that may have been there as well. I hope it's someone. I hope that your faith isn't a latchkey faith where you're just letting yourself in and out day after day and hoping for the best. Now, some of you may know this. But I love reading and processing the Bible. I, I love it. When I taught at a, at a university setting, it was so much fun for me to just work on those things and to present the Bible to students. I love reading and processing it. Uh, all of it, old and new. I even like, uh, as, as a friend of mine says, the bad parts, the apocryphal writings, I even love those too. Um, and... But of, but of the Bible, one of the most interesting sections for me has always just been the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Some of my favorite classes and professors in college and grad school were focused on the writings of the Old Testament. Maybe because it's just so strange that it drew my attention early on. I even loved taking Hebrew, even though I was terrible at it. Right? Um, and last year, I almost signed up for this Jewish program. Uh, called Partners in Torah. You could Google it and you could do it yourself. But you sign up for it, and this is a long history of Torah reading, and Torah is the parts of the Old Testament. And it's a program where you partner with another person. In this case, it would be a Jewish person uh, who is ahead of you in your knowledge of the texts, and they read it with you, and then they talk with you, and they process it with you. Um, if you're a Big Bang theory fan, uh, the girl who plays, uh, I only know her as Blossom, but the girl who plays uh, Amy Farrah Fowler, Maya Bialik, however you say her last name, she does this. She's on the list. I was like, can I get her? That'd be great. <laughs> Loved you and Blossom. That was great. But I almost signed up for that because it just seemed so interesting, but I didn't. Um, but it did prompt me to start sketching something similar that maybe we could do. Partners in reading, you know, whether it's a gospel or some book of the Bible or just discussions that can be had. I mean, we have all these parish groups and people are in them and we do classes and stuff, but just the one-on-one can be really beautiful too. It prompted me to sketch some things for that. This is not an ad for a program. I have nothing. But there's some things floating around. I love what the writer of the Psalms say in Psalm 145. One generation shall commend your works to another. One generation shall commend your works to another. Faith is passed down from older to younger, isn't it? The best faith setup I know of, and I'm going to give it to you, explain it for a second, 
and then we'll pray. The best faith setup that I know of for me is to have someone ahead of me in their faith, someone next to me in their faith, and someone behind me in their faith. All three are important. What they mean, uh, each one means is this. We all need people who have been in this thing that we call faith for longer than we have, right? A bunch of beginners in the same group is terrible, you know? It's like a, a, it's like a married group. We've all been married for a week. Let's get together and share wisdom. <laughs> There's no wisdom to be shared, right? We need people that are ahead of us in their faith who have scars where we're still healing, and they can speak back into our life. When we come to them and say, I don't really know what I think about this that I just read or heard Derek say or something in our parish group. And they say, oh yeah, I remember that. You know, They can speak into that. But also just the model of faith, of steadfastness and um, stubbornness of hanging in there. We need those people. We need those people. They're kind of like the flight attendants for me. When I'm on an airplane, something starts getting a little weird, I'm looking for them. Are they freaking out? If they're just laughing and texting their friends uh, and handing out drinks, swaying back and forth, I'm good. But the moment they sit down and buckle the seatbelt, I'm a little nervous. Are you with me on that? I don't look to anybody else around me. I look to those who have been there a million times more than me. You need people ahead of you. Who is that for you? We also need people next to us that are kind of where we are. I think that's great, you know? That's where it is good to get together with, we've all been married a year, or uh, we're new to this faith, or we've been in it for a while, or whatever the case is, it's good to have people next to us that are just on the same track as we are. We're sort of moving. Um, If you're married... This can be like a really difficult thing. Sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind, sometimes you're next to, it just moves, you know? But we need people next to us. And probably the harder one is to have people that are behind us in their faith. Like a beginner's faith, maybe, or they're just working their way in, you know? They have a lot of questions that you've already been through. But it's great to have people behind us. You know, visiting churches, um, like if we don't have a service on Sunday or I'm off, I'll just always go somewhere else. Not to make you feel guilty. You don't have to do that. I'm just saying I do. I like to steal bulletins and see how their coffee is. Um, But sometimes I'll go into places and you'll notice that it's all the same age. You know, I went to one church um, last year when we didn't have service and there were 12 people in the room. And everybody was the same age but me. And what struck me was, and they were beautiful people, but what was missing was someone behind them. They just kept trucking along, not thinking about who's behind me. Who am I passing on this faith to? We need people ahead of us. We need people next to us and people behind us. Does that make sense? And if you think about it, they're all sort of this cycle. We're always talking. We're always figuring it out together. And if you're in like a parish group, you know this. It's all of these people are there. 
And that just makes for a beautiful, wonderful, and healthy experience. One generation will commend your works to another. And Paul says, like a father to his children, I'm there. Now he's saying, I'm ahead of you, and we need those people. And so I just ask that you think about that this week. I'll put a reminder in the newsletter. It's just something to journal about, think about, process, talk about. Who are these people in my life? Who's ahead of me? Who's next to me? Who's behind me? And then how is that helping shape my faith? I